Hi, this is Ruben off the cheek. I'm Pat Nevin. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, Joe host, Nick and Dan. And gentlemen, we are ready to walk into the weekend like we own the damn club, Nick. Ladies and gentlemen, Chelsea with Lukaku. Yeah, it's a, it's a whole different kind of feeling, isn't it? It's... It's what I was listening to the Chelsea fan cast as I try and do every week. And, you know, I think they summed it up after the Arsenal uh, review where they were like, it just kind of gives you confidence. <laughs> it's a it's a weird feeling to have a guy who you're like, oh, he's going to score. Yeah, of course. It's it's nice. I haven't had that feeling in, in a long time. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing the havoc that uh, old uh, old Big Rom's going to have against maybe a little bit of a lackluster Liverpool defense. Well, that's what we're here for, Dan, is the Liverpool match preview. Uh, But before we get into that, uh, Chelsea's Champions League draw and awards were announced today. So we're definitely going to talk about that. Mm -hmm. Then we can talk about Liverpool. And then we have another Chelsea youth update. Uh, And we played matches. So there's actual matches to talk about. Uh, Before we get into that, sir, run us through this unbelievable list of Apple five-star reviews. The people want to hear their name yelled. Well, we had 21 last time, 22 this time. We want to thank uh, Avo Eggs with the uh, gave each of us a player, assigned us each a player. Uh, Brandon is Mendy, I'm Conte, Nick is Rudiger, and Joe Tweeds gets Mason Mount, all for individual reasons, but that was nice to see. Luke Blah from the U.S., SS and Alpha from the U.S., Andrew Keeping Tahoe Blue from the U.S., Mel from the U.S., Mike from the U.S., Big C42 from the U.S., Country Brit from the U.K., Abolicious Z's from Nambia. We had Jack Jack Tater, Taterhead. If this third review from his work <laughs> phone, really appreciate that. What's up, bro? Woody Wood eighty eight uh, from the U S. Swansea uh, Swansea J C F C from the U S. A C Fru from the U S. Ned Christmas two S's from Australia. CC Coon from the U S. Burn Burner Dad, who is also a part of our Patreon, who is tooling us in our fantasy Premier League. Uh, league. He <laughs> doesn't take place. much with me, bro. Okay. Cactus Critch 12 from the U.S. Steve Wilkie from the U.K. called us Popper Chells for the Portugal trip that we took to win the Champions League. It was all thanks to us. Aiden King 9 from the U.S. John Edmund from the U.S. Maximo Aquino from the U.S. And Akash 1912 from India. Completely international, completely pitbull, Mr. 305. This was a wonderful list of reviews to read through, and we can't thank you enough for leaving a five-star review Apple podcast. We appreciate it. And just, 23 next time. And just think about that. Like, this community all about Chelsea from the entire world, uh, which is super cool. So first thing we've got is the UCL draw, right? The Champions League group stage draw did happen, intermixed with some highlights, uh, some awards. We should start with the draw itself. We don't need to go into all of them. Look, you all know by now, uh, but Chelsea were in group H as our friends H. across the is <laughs> is uh, Brana, uh, you know, Ivanovic was uh, Brana Bot. Oh my god, <laughs> he was so stone cold. <laughs> but what I mean, duh. I can't. What were they expecting from him? But it was good to see them respect the champions and bring in some alumni uh, for that. Anyways, Group H as it stands, Chelsea. Uh, in the in what is it pot A C pot day, a, whatever it is yeah. all right pot A Juve coming in pot B Zenit pot C and Malma pot D uh, so scale one to ten how are you feeling about the group draw Nick bring it in eight out of ten I mean when you look at I think Group B is is officially the group of death with that Letty Liverpool Porto and Milan uh, they are 
that that could have been us, and it wasn't. So the fact that we got Malmo and Zenit, and potentially a weakened Juventus uh, as Cristiano Ronaldo apparently is leaving uh, this week, I feel pretty good about our chances to uh, to get out of the uh, out of the group. Eight out of ten, and I would also mention that everyone pointed out the last time we won the Champions League, who did we have in the Champions League the following season? Juventus. Huh. Well, all right. Uh, Dan, you took a different angle. You gave a strong score, but you have some sympathy mixed in. Yeah, I give it 9 out of 10, particularly with the Ronaldo news of him leaving Juventus. Most For Manchester here. City. Yeah, which is just wild. wild. This, this transfer window. TikTok, TikTok. Or Mbappe to Real Madrid. I mean, shit is popping off here at the end. It's been quite a day. This was this was a very interesting Thursday to have all of this news. Like, I mean, we've lived in our sheltered Chelsea bubble of transfers where we were just waiting for Lukaku to happen and super hyper fixated on that transfer to go through. And afterwards, it's really felt like a okay, well, if other things happen, it'll be great, but I don't feel the impending doom that a transfer needs to occur for us. And so it's it's left me very relaxed. And now I'm watching all this chaos unfold and, you know, we're like in the center of the storm. We're just watching all of the wind swirling around. Houses have been uprooted. Trees are flying in the air and we're just watching. We're watching because we're okay. And this, the score, I don't remember if you gave it. No, no, because I, I was a little distracted there, but it, I gave it a 9 out of 10. It's all right. The reason why I would give it a 9 is because every location that Chelsea will be playing in right now is currently in the UK's red list. So if we think about travel situations for fans and supporters, that that is, to me, is always kind of like mm. a top of mind element. And so knowing that, I think in Sweden right now, it's only for like Sweden nationals with like, you know, maybe who have a spouse who is of a, another nationality. Um, you know, Russia is in the red zone, uh, a red list for them. Italy is in the red list. And so like all of the hoops that they're going to have to jump through to get a ticket, if they're even allowed, like we don't even necessarily know if some of these countries might say, you know what, we don't necessarily want. UEFA's got a lot on their 5, hands. 7,000. They've already talked about there might not even be away fans. It matches they've talked yeah. about potentially going to neutral sites. I mean, it's it's an absolute mess. And yeah. we will figure it out soon, Dan, because of the FIFA international break and what the hell is going to happen with that. I think that'll kind of lend its hand to to what they're going to do. Um, you know, but, but we'll finish top. We'll finish top of the group. Correct. No, no problem. Uh, I put 7 out of 10, and I'm always saying that because I want to be greedy. Like, if I got to pick... Which, by the way, I think the champion should get to pick their group. I think that's only fair after you win it. Um, but look, if you got to like pick the group, I think you could have picked a little bit better, especially out of pot B. And I think you definitely, well, I mean, pot C is fine with Zenit. Um, what gets interesting is apparently Tino Andrin was looking at going to Zenit on loan because I get, apparently one of Tuchel's buddies is the coach there. Uh, so it's very similar to uh, Billy going to Norch. They like this style of play, and it matches Tuchel. So mm. that could be interesting. But of course, I have no worries that we're going to advance. The 7 out of 10 is not due to difficulty. It's due to me being just greedy and obnoxious. Uh, but beyond the draw, all the Blues already picked up some awards as well. Uh, so, Nick, I'm going to give you the first one, and then Dan will let you get into your apparently your own avatar. Look, uh, the first one is UEFA Men's Coach of the Year. Uh, the voting of the top three coaches went Thomas Tuchel, number one. Yes, obviously. 378 points. 
Roberto Mancini with 292 for guiding Italy to the Euro Championship. And um, there seems to be a third option that scored far too many points. Pep Guardiola with 198. Uh, I believe that's Tuchel's son, Pep Guardiola. So uh, it, Apparently, uh, the English national team is rated below Manchester City, Mr. Southgate. Huh. I think, Man- I think Mancini being second is totally accurate yeah again like you, have the, you have the two winning coaches clearly they just rate the champions league over the euros as we'll see throughout this entire voting process yep. uh all right dan first player award yeah well it was for the champions league midfielder of the season and Jorginho came in third with 149 points kevin de bruyne came in second with 197 and of course, the man, the smile, the myth, the legend, he covers the everything that is not water on earth, he covers. It's N'Golo Kante with 263 points. N'Golo Kante. And we'll get into that. I, I just would like to say, Nick, that is how you uh, work from bottom to top and build suspense. So thank you. Uh, I'll take this next one. Is, it is goalkeeper <laughs> of the year. I, look, it just happened to fall in order. Uh, number three, Thibaut Courtois, uh, 96 points. Uh, Ederson, First of all, how did Donnarumma not make the top three? Correct. What are they doing? Uh, huge complaints here, wow. especially with Courtois getting third. Uh, Ederson, 154 points in the man of the hour, Edouard Mendy, 286 points. Not even close, but honestly, what could you expect? And Nick, the award of the day... The most, the award for most ridiculous award goes to oh, apparently men's, men's player men. of the year. Men's player of the year, the entire year, all competitions, participation award. Here we go. Uh, apparently, N'Golo Conte is the third best player in UEFA. Okay? D- sure. Kevin De Bruyne uh, is apparently the second best player in UEFA. And the best player in UEFA is Jorginho, 175, 167, 160. It's a relatively close race uh, there at the end. Um, so before I go into what I think my my issue with the award is, uh, let's just give praise to Jorginho. He did win the Euros. He did win the Champions League. He played an integral role in both of these teams, uh, clearly scored important penalties and certainly uh once thomas ducal came into chelsea really upped his game through the end of the year that is me being serious and sincere he is a good player he really has turned in 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 form cool you guys want to praise him go for it look i i think to me seeing either chelsea player win this would have been great right and so if conte won it great Jorginho wins it fantastic Kevin De Bruyne finishing second just is really weird to me considering that. And again, I, I think maybe from just the award standpoint is, you know, you're also thinking about there's the Euros plus the Champions League, right? And I would argue to say that, of course, Conte had, you know, was integral in our Champions League run, maybe at a higher level than Jorginho you don't was. say. <laughs> but with the Euros and Italy's campaign to get there, Jorginho played a very vital role to that team. I know he was never a man of the match in that campaign, Nick. I know that there's a lot of caveats we can throw in there, but he was part of a team that won the Euros, completely turned around that entire team. And, you know, I, I just think in that sense, like it's just, 
it's a credit to him. I actually had the interview afterwards where he talked about the fact that like the hate fuels him. I don't know. I, I love people who feed on that energy. It's fantastic. Like I want more people with that type of mentality in our squad and our team. And so uh, hats off. I like that, bro. Hate is a renewable energy source for Jorginho. That shit is unending. <laughs> so we're probably going to see another great season for him. We need to do some research with him. We could use it to fix the, uh, instead of uh, a green green plan, a new green deal, we can uh, just ask Jorginho to get the science behind St- hate Stand up one of those hate-fueled power plants. All right. I just need to do a quick thing here. This award makes no sense to me, and I think needs to be scrapped in favor of a new award. Okay. Here's my issue. Jorginho had a great season, right? The stats are there. Had like the most passes, most touches, whatever. Most progressive, like whatever. He had a great season. Never was a man of the match in a Champions League game or in a Euros game. Uh, N'Golo Conte is the best midfielder in uh, the Champions League, right? Uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma is the player of the Euros. So in my mind, it would have made logistical and logical sense if either N'Golo Conte or Donnarumma would have been player of the season because they were the best at that tournament. Thus, they should have naturally ascended to that place. The fact that Donnarumma gets left off, left off the goalkeeper list altogether is a fucking crime. And then I don't understand well, then how Jorginho leapfrogs De Bruyne and Conte into the first place role. Uh, look, I'm happy for him. I'm glad he's got this award. I hope it fuels him. I hope he has the best season of his career. I just, my brain doesn't compute, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I'm being lame. I'm running on the frame. Well, John uh, Rumo wouldn't have been eligible, right? Because he would have AC Milan last year, and AC Milan wasn't in the Champions League. So, but if we're looking at Euros, well, but the so the the those individual ones are specific to the Champions League, right? It's right. Okay. Yeah, I see Champions what you're saying. League. That, yeah. That's why he's not on that. You don't get to mix that one in. Big, that makes big sense. Rom won the Europa League Player of the Season actually for this last season. No, two years ago they didn't have one. Huh. Interesting. Um, I, I get it. Again, Jorginho very polarizing. You're saying he's not the best player on either team, yet he won the best player overall. Totally understand that. Um, I think a lot of people are going to jump at it just as the opportunity to jump. But at the end of the day, Chelsea sweeping almost every single ward. We missed out on defender, uh, which you could question since we did set clean sheet record. I know we got goalkeeper, but uh, Ruben <laughs> Dias got yeah. defender of the year and Erling Haaland got uh, forward of the year. Those are the only two we missed out on. Uh, we wouldn't have added forward, but defender, no. you could have made a case. I definitely think so. They're probably like, ah, too many Chelsea players and managers. So my, my fault on the Donnarumma in, in earlier award piece. Well, that's a correction on the record. Still, I don't get the logic of the award. All right. Um, I would just remind everyone that uh, this is very normal for Chelsea to be in these awards, having one goalkeeper on four different occasions, three from Czech, now one from Mendy. We've won the Defender Award on three occasions. Duh, John Terry. Uh, we've won the midfield award two occasions, Lampard and now N'Golo Kante, and then the coach of the season for the first time and player of the year for the first time. Who would have thought in Chelsea's history of players, <laughs> the Jor- Jorginho. Jorginho Freo is the one <laughs> who <laughs> won it. And uh, again, Tuchel was Good in for charge him, man. for less than six months when he won that prestigious award. So well, imagine what he can win in a full season. 
Well, like, <laughs> I think, yeah, Yan tweeted that out. His, like, uh, trophy per uh, month record is is insane at this point. Uh, <laughs> we're going to take a real quick break uh, before we get into the Liverpool match. Before we do, uh, Dan, we have some friends on Patreon that we should shout out as well. Yeah, we want to thank Sean for signing up with a yearly sub, getting that wonderful discount as well, 10% off when you do that. And new subs from the Lunch Society, Zach, Jamie, J- uh, Jose, Marlene, Kyle, Matt, and Adam all joining in at a monthly tier. So we appreciate you guys supporting the pod, getting into the Discord. And look, uh, transfer conversation has been great. There's a horticulture thread now because people want to talk about plants. So, you know, hmm. look, it's wonderful. It's good stuff. You know, my hmm. plans are thriving right now. Just need y'all to know that. All right. Well, hey, we're going to take a quick break again. Thanks to these sponsors for financially supporting the show. Uh, we'll be right back. All right. Really quick, before we get into the Liverpool preview, we just want to remind everybody we have more pods before the end of the transfer uh, window. And first up, we're going to do Liverpool match review with Naz. So Nisar Kinsella from Goal.com is going to be joining us. What We've up? got Matt Law's final transfer pod of the window on deadline day. Can you believe how much we had to pay to get him on that day? Uh, potentially going to be dropping another King's Road episode next week. Chelsea women's season preview. All right, get it going. And maybe Uh-oh. an emergency pod Uh-oh. or two. It sounds like there's going to be some moves happening in the next 72 hours. Uh, but let us go ahead and touch on the foes in front of us. Uh, Dan, we're going to be playing playing Liverpool. All right, so top of the table clash. What do we need to know heading into this? Well, not even top of the table right now. It's West Ham. West Ham on top at the moment. Top-ish of the table. It's top four battle. Top four battle. Um, look, Liverpool are coming into this having played... Look, we have played similar style teams. They played Burnley and Norwich. They won 2-0 at home against Burnley. They won 3-0 against Norwich away. And they're coming in with a healthy defense virgil van dyke is back last time when we played them last season they didn't have robertson's not back robertson robertson is healthy he's confirmed to be fit might want to check your fpl team (laughs) matip is healthy and then they've got trent alexander arnold they're gonna play back four you know the thing the thing keep in mind is the clop does not adapt to other managers right he is not going to change his lineup for us because we are playing a back three and so yeah, it's going to be a really interesting game. You know, I, I think in general, they've got a side that is capable of scoring, capable of keeping clean sheets. And this is truly the first real test, Nick, I think for either side, when you think about the Arsenal and Palace match, were really a warm up for us, just like Norwich and Burnley were warm ups for Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's actually hard to p- figure out who played worse teams, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is we, funny. We did. Yeah, probably, probably. Um yeah, look, I mean, this is I, – I hate this game this early in the year, actually, uh, if I could just say that. I, I want these teams fit and fighting, you know, when it really counts. And it, it's kind of a bummer to me that we, you know, get to play a season over. I think the good thing is at the beginning of the season, if you don't get the result you want, there's plenty of time to make that up. Um, so that's a good thing. But – if you remember playing them on the road last year, it was a relatively straightforward affair. Mason Mount with a banger of a goal uh, right before halftime. We held on to that lead and pretty much snuffed them out the entire time. Uh, poor old uh, uh, Sala did not have his his best day against Rudiger. Um, and, you know, Mendy didn't really have a whole lot to do. So 
you know, I think the the one thing that I would be looking for, Brandon, uh, is whether or not Diego Jota is uh, going to play because I think he's actually pretty dynamic and provides a different threat than uh, Mane does because I think him and Salah kind of just ran into a brick wall all last year. Jota is a little more crafty, and I think that could be something that we'd have to potentially look out for. Yeah, it's going to be, you know, on their day, they can be super deadly. Uh, I did watch them uh, end up picking apart Norwich, Norwich, even though, you know, it took them until right for half. Um, you know, it, or I guess maybe it was like nil nil half even, and then they kind of turned it on. So, you know, they haven't really hit the blocks just sprinting, I'd say, completely. But we know how good they can be. And coming off last season is a massive fluke. Um is is only gonna help us as they kind of regain their form. I mean, I what is nice, Nick. I know you don't like to play these games early, but like Van Dyke's not at full fitness yet, so being able to run at him while he's still trying to get caught up to having an entire season off with a massive injury could potentially benefit us. And one of the shoutouts to the Discord, I think it was Jay talking about it. They're saying that you know you get a week off in between these matches right now. You know, you're playing Liverpool, you're playing City. And there's no midweek games. If any, and it's kind of the same thing on the back half. Then we play all the hard matches right around January before knockout round. Where last year, remember, we were playing like Man United, Champions League away, City in the cup, Champions League away, City in the in the in the in another cup. And you're just like, this is insane. If you actually lay it out, it's almost as good as it possibly can be. I think. But at the end of the day, Liverpool are a really good team, and Chelsea gonna have to show up. I would say, though, last year getting results, granted they had some injuries, I, I'm more confident this season, Nick, in our ability, obviously, and it massively comes from from that big man up top. Oh, for sure. Goals I mean, cure it, a lot of things. <laughs> it, it's a it's a different deal, and, and it will be fun. You know, the matchup of the game is is Big Rom on, on Virgil van Dyke. I mean, that's going to be a hell of a thing to watch. I was talking to a couple of buddies who are Liverpool fans um, this week, and they're they're, uh, I think, uh, a little nervous, a little nervous, as as one would be if you were facing Big Rom as he's uh, he's ready to charge. So, yeah, I think I think that is going to be, you know, the other interesting matchup down the other side is, you know, how do we potentially convert some of these chances that we had against Arsenal that we probably should have put away? Um, can we be a little bit more clinical? Can we have a few more shots on target than we did last week? I think we had. 22 shots and only six on target, which is not not really where you want to be. Uh, so that that would be another thing I'm looking out for. Dan, gut reaction at the end of the day, feeling pretty confident. Look, I think it's I think actually think it's a coin flip game. I think we're both really good sides with great coaches and great players, and I think it's to me this is both teams back to being on that edge of being elite. And I think you end up walking into a classic here. You know, this, these are the types of matches that you want to have that the broadcasters just get excited for because they know they can amp the drama up to 11. It's going to be a packed house at Anfield. You know, last time we played, it was behind closed doors. And so that is going to be another thing that factors in. And, uh, you know, I, I think one thing maybe before we transition to the 11s is, you know, obviously there was some, 
uh, chanting towards Billy Gilmore that came from the Liverpool supporters. Uh, and, and credit to uh, Klopp and the way that he kind of addressed that and uh, sat down with the Liverpool's um, pride, their kind of pride supporters group to kind of talk about the need for change and what to do and, and how we should kind of think about it and, you know, kind of admitting, hey, here's here's things I remember saying as a kid that weren't necessarily okay and, like, we have to, we have to do better. And it'll be interesting to see if the supporters follow Klopp's lead this weekend. My um, guess will be is not all of them will. But uh, even if a couple of people's minds were changed by that, uh, it was a really great thing to see from a, from a club and from a manager to be involved in, too. All I take away from that, Dan, is that Billy Gilmore is living rent-free uh, in in Liverpool's hearts. Well, he gave them the absolute D in the his Man of the Match award a couple of seasons ago, so they still have nightmares. Uh, also, I don't appreciate you humanizing Klopp for the good things he does because I wanted to bring up the fact that it would have been fun uh, if we had the Lampard uh, Klopp you know, uh, verbal altercation again on the sideline. <laughs> Gave it the big end. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you win one fucking trophy and you take your big deal, eh? Uh, so I'm, I'm going to miss great. that. What ben a terrible German accent that credits, was. Boy, that was Credit that was where it's really due bad. for Klopp at raising society. It can't be easy to lift all those fans. But look, let's not pretend like Chelsea doesn't have a bunch of shit fans in our ranks as well. So again, appreciate him doing better. Uh, anyways, before you get into your ridiculous starting levers, Anthony Taylor. That's right, center, center official. <sighs> so that'll be fun. Get exciting fourth official, Craig Pawson. Var Chris Cavanaugh. <laughs> what is this? The bad news fucking bears? Jesus sure Christ. Is. Got the band aye, back together. Aye. All right, let's go ahead and touch on lineups again. We're doing this before the manager's press conferences, so guaranteed to learn something that we wish we would have known before that. But I'll kick it off with Mendy in goal. I'm going to go with Aspie, Christensen, Rudiger is my back three. I've got Reese James, Jorginho, Kante, Chilwell is my middle four. The Mount, Lukaku, Havertz up top. To me, the team really picks itself, assuming everyone is healthy. Nick, what do you think? Uh, see, uh, I think uh, Mendy, the UEFA goalkeeper of the year, will likely play. I feel like that's probably a good thing. Uh, I also feel like Cesar Espilicueta, one of the uh, nominees for Defender of the Year, is going to be there. Uh, Christensen, uh, who's been playing very well in the sweeper role. Rudiger, also UEFA Defender of the Year candidate. Reese James, coming off a goal and an assist performance, will play. And Golo Conte will make a triumphant return and snuff everything out, probably nutmeg about four or five people. Uh, Jorginho, the UEFA Player of the Season, an unbelievable performance from him. Just tremendous work there, so he's going to play. Ben Chilwell, making a return to the lineup. Shocking, I know. Uh, He'll play. Uh, Mace, uh, first name on the team sheet for me. Uh, Big Rom will play. And then a surprise inclusion, Timo Werner. Um, If you remember last year, Timo was very, uh, I mean, incredibly unlucky all year and, you know, sometimes didn't help himself, but... He should have had two goals last year. He had one uh, chalked off for a terrible offside call uh, against Liverpool. He absolutely ran their back line ragged. It, it was a whole different back line, but he played really well against them. So I actually expect him to play uh, on Sun- or on Saturday. You think it's because they didn't stump up the money for him, so he's still upset at them? I hope he gets upset and scores some fucking goals. That's what I hope, you know? All right. Well, I mean, reason- reasonable enough. Uh, Dan, go ahead and uh, hit your lineup. Obviously... Nick and I only had one change, but I think you just had a little too much kombucha. <laughs> well, I went with the CMP, the copy and paste. 
That's all you need to do. I mean, uh, what 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 all we've learned about Tuchel is that while he definitely loves to tinker, he also for matches like the like these is probably not going to deviate too much. And so I get the sense for Werner. Like, I actually think that that would be an interesting one, like really draw the defenders out, really force their their fullbacks to play back a little bit because, you know, they'll. The challenge of Liverpool is they play that ridiculous high line. And so Werner terrorizing that back line could be really, really interesting, kind of running ROM into some open space. So, like, I, I, I'm i down with that. Um, but I went with the Mendy, Aspel, Quetzal, Christensen, Rudiger, James, Conte, Jorginho, Alonso, Havertz, Lukaku, and Mason. I just think he's not gonna he's not gonna mess with the side that you know won pretty handily against Arsenal and still needs to gel with that Alonso to Lukaku and James Lukaku type of rhythm. Well, you're you're bringing Angola back. Angola didn't play. Oh uh, yeah, the, the, the Oh, didn't Dan? play because he's kind of you know he's getting rest minutes. Yeah, man. he's he, he, Mariano Rivera, man. He's he's coming out of the the bullpen in the ninth inning. Closing it down. You guys, I can't believe you had Conte, then Jorginho, and I had Jorginho, then Conte. Uh, but most importantly, don't act, Dan, like Kai Havertz runs aren't damn good themselves. Uh, we saw one in Portugal that was actually really fun. So I get the point. Uh, I do like the ability to press their wingbacks uh, because that is key to them. Everything goes through those guys. Uh, so we'll have to see you know, what he does to, to counter it. But you know, again... I think we have to be less pra- pragmatic with this team, and I think we're starting to be able to impose ourselves on two teams. And look, I think it's you know some pretty non-dynamic midfields going against each other, so everything is gonna to that's gonna happen. I think it's gonna come from around the midfield itself. So, uh, from predictions on the score sheet, uh, let's go from worst to best. Nick, you're up. Um, yeah, I think it's gonna be a two-two draw. I, I just kind of think this has draw written all over it. I hope I'm wrong. Obviously, hopefully, I'm putting the uh, the negative energy out there so someone else can go clean that up. But yeah, two two draw. I mean it's not the worst thing away at Anfield either. Uh nah. Dan, second place. Uh <laughs> so I went with a one two uh, uh Chelsea uh winning uh two goals to one. No no clean sheet unfortunately. All right. Well I will take over that duty. I said it last week. They made me regret it. Uh Liverpool nil, Chelsea two, fine. I'll give a clean sheet, damn it. Tuchel, line it up. Even though I think that'd be amazing to shut out one of the best uh, attacks in the league, but we've done it before. So, uh, well, they keep in mind, like, so our just our recent run of fixtures, right? After that win last season, prior to that, it was a 2 0 loss, a 5 3 loss, both of the Premier League, the win in the FA Cup, 2 0, but then a Premier League loss. Two to one, the UEFA Super Cup, which we ended up losing on penalties, and then a loss. So what are you trying <laughs> to say, nil. Dan? I'm just saying the recent run versus Liverpool has not been ideal. Hmm. And so what we did in March is hopefully start a new trend of beating Liverpool and submission again. So let's keep that going. Let's keep yes, the positive vibes that happening. Is, that is correct. It's called yes. Lukaku. All right, Dan. We, we've got Lukaku. Cheat code. We're safe. All right. One inconceivable prediction that is silly, stupid, and probably a bit outrageous. Uh, damn it, Nick. <laughs> Why did I build that up the way I did for you to put that? 
You're mean, Nick. The, all I'm I've not learned in this mean. episode is that Nick is mean. I'm not mean. I'm pragmatic. <laughs> Timo Werner's going to score, damn it. I'm putting it in the world. I'm on a. I'm just on a tear with predictions. So if T- hey, if Timo scores this game, we know that I have something going. That's that's really the all that we have to say about that. The juice, the especially juice. predicting that, not even knowing if he's starting yet, it w- as well is is definitely a big one. Uh, I put Conte game winner since I couldn't come up with one last time. So uh, we've seen him on the triple meg against Spurs in the cup. Might as well <laughs> add one to the tally against Liverpool. Dan, what about you? Look, everybody's getting goals. Trev Chalaba has a goal for Chelsea now. Reese James has multiple goals for Chelsea. Conte has goals. Regina has goals. You know what? Christensen finally needs his goal. He finally needs a Chelsea goal. So I want that to happen. I want him to get involved. Header on a set piece. Let's go. Can it be a screamer from like 30 yards out like the Sure, Euros? I would take that too. That'd be I would a take lot that of too. fun. Yeah, that, that actually was really fun. I, uh... I had to do a double take on that and make sure it was Christensen. <laughs> so that was fun. All right. Hey, that's going to wrap up our match preview. But don't worry, we're not done with this episode. No, no. I sat down with the wonderful man himself at Chelsea Youth, and we talked about three matches that Chelsea Youth teams have played at the Academy. And we talked about some transfers out. And uh, I even snuck in his take on what he thought about uh, Trevo Chalba staying. So uh, check that out, and we'll be back after that chat. Chat? Talk? Chat. Chat. Got it. Cool. Here we go. So now we don't have to speculate anymore. The season has started. We actually have real minutes being played, Phil. Uh, The first one being the Manchester United uh, 1-1 draw for the U23 development squad. I believe that was last Friday. Correct me if I'm wrong, Uh, but 1-1 draw. It was a 1-1 draw. It was at Stamford Bridge. It came off the back of their uh, 2-2 draw to open the season away to Tottenham four days earlier. So they've had a a pair of really tough opening matches in the PL2. both matches they led in um, through Harvey Vale's goals. He scored two against Tottenham and then one against Manchester United. So he's got all three league goals so far this season. And it, it was a really good competitive match. Not short on aggression. There was a, a red card for Josh Brooking in the second half for a tackle that you could have argued for multiple reds, whether it was a denial of goal scoring opportunity or for endangering the opponent, whatever you like. It was a, a highly justified red. And it came midway through the second half. So there was a challenge for the boys to, to not just see out a, a goalless draw, but to, to try to go and win it. And they were three minutes away from doing so. So generally a positive start for them. Yeah, I was surprised how competitive that was. You know, definitely felt like United had a good squad making chances. Uh, again, I think a theme that has been kind of nice through these is uh, some really, really good goalkeeping play from the 23s. And they've been rotating as well. So um, I, obviously I'm looking at that side. But to your point, these are real competitive minutes for these guys. Uh, they're overcoming adversity. Even you know a couple weeks ago with the Tottenham one-one draw, I mean Bergstrom was massive in that match, uh, and to continue to see them rotate players and have consistent, I would say like there's bright spots throughout these matches, right? Like it's not all gas, it's not all break. It's very much these youth games ebb and flow far more than the men's first team matches. Yeah, absolutely. It's a lot of teams trying to to build uh, not just an identity throughout the club, but trying to educate players on various facets of their game as they go forward. But going back to your mention about goalkeepers, it's been a really good start to the season for, for a number of players. As you say, Lucas Bergstrom was really impressive in the, the draw at Tottenham. And then against Manchester United last Friday and against X 
Exeter City in the EFL Trophy uh, this midweek just gone. Teddy Sharman Lowe made his first two appearances for the club. You may remember that he signed last summer from Burton Albion. He was an England under-17 international who'd been sort of on the cusp of Burton's first team as a 17-year-old. He stuck with them for the first half of last season made sense it was obviously still a, a highly tense uh, pandemic world at the time uh, he stayed there and played a couple of games in in the EFL trophy for Burton last year and then returned to Chelsea in the winter transfer window and didn't play again because he was out injured so we've had to wait a year to see him in Chelsea colors but his first two appearances have been really really encouraging he's tall he's commanding he's got a presence about him he's I don't want to do any disservice to the academy goalkeeping department or the goalkeepers because they are a talented bunch and they regularly provide um, high quality players to the England youth setups. And we've seen the likes of Nathan Baxter coming through and Jamie Cumming coming through in the last couple of years and really impressing in the football league. But you might argue that goalkeeper has been one of the positions that the academy hasn't been able to churn out consistent quality year on year. Obviously, it's one position when outfielders have the ability to play in multiple positions. But Sharman Lowe has come in and looks like he's got um, a little bit of something else about him and you can see why the club went and got him yeah and you would be um, forgiven if you were confused when you see Bergstrom and Charmin Lowe out on the pitch they look quite similar uh, they so are big boys yeah it, yeah it's probably good that we uh, tell you that they're a little bit different uh, the next match that we missed was the 7-2 smashing of Spurs for the U18s and what was best about this uh, Phil was the salty tears tweet from Spurs official account, you know, essentially trying to call this one into question, but it was an absolute throttling. It was a very deserved win for Chelsea, whether it was 7-2, whether it was 10-5, whatever the score might have been through the chances that weren't taken. There, there could be no doubts that Chelsea deserved to win it. Now, Spurs have a right to feel little aggrieved. Chelsea were awarded two penalties either side of halftime, the first of which was really not a penalty the second of them soft but you've seen them given a little nudge from behind with a player waiting for the contact and moments later Tottenham had one of their forwards sent off for a really crew challenge on Jimmy Tauriano absolutely no arguing about that um, the Spurs manager was subsequently booked for the protest and there was a moment or two where it looked like everyone was about to to walk off in protest uh, there was a four minute break that Tauriano had a little bit of treatment but not that long and then everyone sort of had an impromptu drinks break and it was quite strange but yeah, back to the football. Chelsea were were dominant in every facet of play. Um, Ronnie Stutter opened the scoring. Beautiful counter-attack. Uh, Billy G opening the play up from midfield. Brody Hughes coming forward at right back, steering it across and Stutter, adding to his two goals from the opening day against West Brom. Lewis Hall scored a couple of penalties. He made his uh, dev squad debut against Exeter, which we'll talk about shortly. Uh, Tariana scored in the second half. He's playing as a number 10 in this team right now and is a really interesting sort of prospect, upright, left-footed. Um, someone on my Twitter feed sort of made comment that he, he resembles Kai Havertz in some of the movements and ways he plays. Obviously, you can you can look at the physical comparisons and, and, and go from there, but he's doing some interesting things. And then they scored three late on. Uh, Malik Mothersill and Derek Abu both came off the bench to score their first youth team goals and Edwin Anderson rounded it off late on with uh, a goal that he was very relieved by. He He'd missed three or four big chances throughout the match, but deserved them. He he worked really hard up and down both flanks, um, as he did against West Brom. And we're seeing the best of him and of Torriano already in this first month after they took a little while to settle last year. Yeah, it, it, I, I was watching back the highlights. Um, I'm glad that they're getting a lot more coverage this season. I think they're continuing to grow on the coverage of the academy teams, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but it's great that you can either you know watch the match live you know for free pretty easily, especially over here in the United States, 
um, or, you know, catch the highlights and some things like that. So, again, the accessibility to these teams is growing and growing, which is, again, I just push everyone to go watch the content as well. Take the names that we're discussing and then go watch them so you can match them to to what you see on the pitch. Yeah, exactly. The the development squad matches are pretty much always live on Chelsea platforms. So that'll be on the website, on the Fifth Stand app and on YouTube. And YouTube is a real bonus that they started to introduce in the back third of last season because it's accessible for more people. It's available on more devices, on more televisions and doesn't isn't restricting you to a mobile or a tablet device or to your computer with the website and the app which yes you can cast it but youtube's much easier and much more accessible so that's coming along uh whether they have plans to start broadcasting more live under 18 matches is always up and down it, it can be on a whim it can be they'll trial it they tried it with a game at the back end of last season and then scheduling issues got in the way thereafter but the all, all the highlights are always free on the website which isn't the same for all clubs so like you say the content's there the accessibility is there for you to to, to take a look at some of the next generation coming through yeah, absolutely. And then I think, you know, full commentary as well. So usually Ben Andrews on there with uh, a host of people. So it's a really good, a good product. So just had to pitch that quick. Uh, then a, a, an exciting one was the under 23s are back in the Papa John's Cup, right? So they are playing Exeter uh, City, Exeter City, it's Exeter City. Yep. Yeah, isn't there the another Exeter? Time. Um, there might be in the lower non-leagues, but it's Exeter City Anyways. in the Football League. And it's uh, yet another year where Chelsea have been in this competition, so the five or six years now where they've been drawn into uh, a group with all the Southwest teams. Uh, the, the competition's regionalised, so Chelsea should stand a fair chance of having opponents from London or in and around the Southeast. But once again, they're going off to the Southwest. They're playing Exeter, and then they've got Bristol Rovers in October and Cheltenham in November. Exeter and Bristol Rovers are very familiar foes in this competition. Um, so uh, some some trips that the club have done and know how to do very well by now. And they started with a positive result against Exeter. Uh, they drew one each. The tournament competition rules therefore dictate if the match finishes a draw, you play a penalty shootout for an extra bonus point. Chelsea won that 4-3 and they they got two points instead of three from match day one, which is obviously better than nothing. They were moments away from having all three. They conceded a stoppage time penalty, um, which was unfortunate because they didn't really deserve to, to, to do anything but win that match. Yeah, and uh, Sharman Lowe and goal, again, just pulling it back to that, uh, penalty shootout heroics. Uh, the big foot save, nothing like going to your left and dangling that foot out to cover the middle and he, and he got a touch on it, so... Um, what I wanted to touch on this one, Phil, is that this provides much, I would say, like more competitive minutes, maybe just like the the PL2 or the Dev Squad League, where like they're they're under serious pressure in this penalty shootout. And you can tell because guys missed, right? If it were just like meaningless yeah, minutes sure. or training ground, they would casually bury it. But like they are being experienced to to professional and pressurized minutes in this competition they are it varies from team to team and from opponent to opponent so exeter themselves gave an opportunity to play a few of their younger players but they equally they went a little bit stronger than most of their fans were expecting so it was a good opportunity for a bunch of younger boys at Chelsea to get some of those minutes in. The match itself was quite passive it was it almost resembled a pre-season affair in both the Tottenham and the um, the Manchester United games in the PL2 were arguably more competitive. That's not necessarily going to be the case when they play Bristol Rovers or Cheltenham. 
but certainly last night's match was a little bit friendlier for the academy boys but there was a crowd of just over a thousand people there mostly home fans so when it goes to the penalty shootout there is pressure on you and the boys generally did well um, only brian fee have ever missed from the spot we'll let him off because he scored the the goal during the match he latched onto a really nice uh through ball from xavier umbuyamba and it was really nice to see umbuyamba having a a more positive outing after a couple of struggles against Tottenham and Manchester United. We've got mitigating circumstances that he's missed the best part of a year injured. We know that the potential exists and the quality exists of his play, but he struggled in 1v1 battles in those matches and that's part of the learning curve. He did much better against Exeter, so hopefully we're seeing him come through. Um, and I think Andy Myers also used the match to get more minutes into some of the players who didn't necessarily have a full preseason. We saw Dion Rankin, who was probably man of the match, get a good outing on the right. We saw Ben Elliott play the 90 minutes in midfield. Um, he didn't use any subs until quite late on and then he gave Lewis Hall, as we just mentioned, uh, a first appearance at this level. Declan Frith came off the bench for his first outing since preseason. So as much as these games have been competitive for the first fortnight of the season, as many as 12 players didn't really have much football over the summer. So you're trying to get minutes into the legs, heading into the international break, and then you'll start to see a more coherent team come together after that. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> just thinking back to that that penalty we gave up late, it was just a long ball off the goalkeeper, skipped past a couple guys and you sent on the wrong side of them. Um, yeah, so it was unfortunate. It was just Sam McClellan who didn't see the guy coming behind him. He's gone to try to exactly. clear the ball. The lads, the lads just nudged him first. It was the only mistake McClellan made. He's been outstanding at the start of this season. He made his uh, senior debut for Northern Ireland at the back end of last year, flying with confidence, form, fitness, everything's there. He's an outstanding leader, does all the simple stuff really well and is... The, exactly the player that you want to be leading a defence that is transitioning away from last year's boys. So you've now got Mbuyamba coming in playing regularly and Bashir Humphrey stepping up from the under-18s on the left side. McClellan's really been outstanding and you can forgive him that one mistake, I think. Right. And again, it was it was like a very kind of like unique situation. Um, but these matches, so are you saying that they're essentially group stage matches right now? It'll go to They're knock group out stage matches. Second yeah, half. Yeah, you go into a knockout round, one of them's before Christmas, and then it's um, you, you go through the regionalized knockouts until you have a North and a South champion um, in March or April, and then the final is at Wembley. Uh, a few years ago, Chelsea reached the semifinals of the competition. It's the best that any under-21 team has done. They went on to a penalty shootout against Lincoln and lost in front of 13,000 fans at Lincoln on a penalty shootout. Callum Hudson-Odoi was involved that night. Ethan Ampadu was involved that night. Uh, several players who've gone on to graduate and play in the first team. Uh, it's, it's an experience. The competition itself is still controversial among Football League fans. Uh, they don't tend to like the fact that under-21 or potential B teams are being put in front of them. So you don't necessarily get the same uh, capacity crowds or high attendances. And some managers treat it with similar disdain. But for the most part, Chelsea have had competitive opponents throughout their runs in this competition yeah i love that um all right so those are the matches that have been played but clearly we still have other news that have gone that is going on um on the transfer out side of it uh we've got ek ugbo has gone to genk in the belgian league correct he has yeah that's where he spent last season he was at circle bruges more of a mid-table team uh, proved himself with 16 goals which therefore opened up a, a range of options across Europe. 
a move that would probably have been sorted a little bit earlier had everything come together with the the asking price and the fees that Chelsea were looking for from him. He was out of contract next summer. So while someone like Lucas Nemetra from Manchester City was playing in the same league for an arguably a stronger team in Anderlecht, uh, commanded an 11 million fee uh, joining Wolfsburg this summer, Ike was going to be hard-pressed to get the same amount of money because of his contract situation, even though they're arguably very similar players. They're both born in uh, 99, I believe, and they played against each other in Youth Cup finals, the Chelsea Man City trilogy, and Ike's been as productive along the majority of his career, but that's just an aside. He's now joining Genk for uh, three and a half million euros up front, and I believe there are clauses for more money if they qualify for the Champions League and there's a 20% sell-on. He'll do really well there. It's a, a much stronger team, a team that's competing for titles and places in the Champions League. And it's a really nice way for him to to bounce back from some doubts early in his professional career. He scored a bunch of goals in the academy, as we know. Won two Youth Cups, won two UEFA Youth Leagues. But loans at Barnsley and at Milton Keynes and at Scunthorpe didn't really work out. Maybe they were slightly uh, early in his career for him. He's spoken about he didn't necessarily have the right mentality going into those loans and um, then took some time working with a one-to-one coach before then going to to Roda in 2019-20 in the Dutch second tier refound his game refound his vibe scored goals and he's moved to circle bruges last season now he's got himself a big move to gank and a potential nigeria call up this season so really really happy for him another successful academy graduate out there doing his thing yeah i've definitely i felt like you had a it was it was a tweet about essentially he's he's gonna feast over there in in belgium he's gonna continue to have a really good time maybe to your point He's already proven himself in that league. And I was just with a better group of players. So it all adds up for, you know, hopefully a really positive thing for for Ike in Belgium. And then the other one that we had was Carlos Zieger went out on loan. Yeah, he's gone to the Slovenian second division, which uh, I don't think anybody expected, especially a couple of Slovenian uh, followers I have. He's gone to Rudai Vilenia. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Um, and... Quite why? I'm not quite sure yet, but there'll be an opportunity to play there. They were a top-tier team until relatively recently, and they were playing Europa League football um, less than five years ago. Uh, he was at a point in his career where he needed to play regularly. As we've discussed, we've already got Bergstrom and Sharman Lowe at the development squad. Ethan Wadey is still there as well, so there's there's minutes uh, for those to go around, and you need to get Carlo out. He had a, a single-game loan spell at Sutton United a couple of years ago on an emergency basis and was, was outstanding in one FA Cup tie. This is his time to go out and play. He's uh, obviously quite close to home uh, over the border in, in Slovenia from Croatia. There'll be opportunities for him to to impress there. And we've seen that uh, Nathan Baxter started really low down in the English pyramid at the Met Police, uh, admittedly at a younger age, but goalkeepers have a different development curve. Carlo's going out and the important thing is for him to now play men's football for a season, impress uh, and go from there. He, he'll have several low moves, whether... Um, he has a long-term future at Chelsea is up to him as much as anything else. He's contracts until 2023, and this is the first step in seeing whether that's going to be extended. I love that. Yeah, no, great to hear uh, for him as well, kind of spreading his links. It, uh, he's Croatian, so, you know, Slovenia, you know, being nearby. It's funny, I so I did another podcast, and it's just the soccer world is so kind of happenstance sometimes so maybe someone saw him at a youth tournament years ago or this and that and now they're at a new club and they're like oh i'm bringing him in it's so funny how some of these opportunities present themselves especially for young players and at the end of the day uh especially in this world they just need minutes and build some confidence 
Absolutely. I've learned over the years that there is always a connection somewhere, whether it's an agent, whether it's a former player, whether it's uh, an advisor, there's always something to go around. Carlo belongs to the same agency that represents Romelu Lukaku, as far as I'm aware. Um, so he's part of a, a big stable with a, a bunch of people who've got connections all over Europe. Um, looking forward to seeing how he gets on, because uh, I've always rated him as a, a fairly... Uh, sound technical goalie he doesn't have the the height that Bergstrom and Sharman Lowe do um, but he's he's been around long enough and and proven that he's got enough to to have a, a decent professional career somewhere love it all right lastly I just want to get your um I guess thoughts on kind of the the link between you know the the academy and the first team side at Cobham. It sounds like Trevor Chalaba is going to definitely stay at the request of uh, Tommy T. And you know we've had Matt talk about it. We've had Chidge talk about it. Some different people in the Chelsea community. So it sounds like you know that connection is still there. I think you would agree that Trevo has absolutely earned this opportunity. Um, but I guess just kind of your thoughts on their uh, continuing to be academy players in the first team, because we don't really know what Callum Hudson-Odoi's future is with this squad. We don't know what Ruben's going to be like. Obviously, Ampadu came a little bit later in his career from Exeter, actually. Uh, so anyways, just wanted to give you a little bit of mo- a moment on that. Yeah, I'm really happy for Trev. He's he's had a, a good journey out of the academy went to Ipswich and to Huddersfield and then to Lorient on loan he's played largely in midfield on those loans but it was last season at Lorient that he then moved back into defence for more time than the previous clubs and and showed that he can do both of those jobs to to a high level and then obviously it wasn't necessarily by design he's come into a pre-season with uh, an excess of uh, loanies and first team want aways and whatever you want to call them while the senior squad were recovering from the Euros and being on late holidays and whatnot. And he took his chance. And who's to say that other academy players can't take their chance if they're given a similar opportunity. But we'll focus on Trev for now because he came into the team for the Villarreal game and for Crystal Palace. Amazing moment when he scored. Um, and, and and now we wait to see how the club handle him. Uh, Tuchel's obviously come out and said he wants him to stay for this season uh, and he's going to be a part of the squad. Uh, we may be seeing Kurt Zuma leave and Jules Koundé come in. We don't know. If Koundé comes in, then it, you question how many minutes Chalabar is going to get, um, if only because we've seen him on the right side of the back three so far, and that's the role that you would immediately label Koundé for. Whether they bring in Sal Niguez, because that's a fourth man in midfield that Chalabar could arguably also fill in that spot. Um, I'm optimistic but at the same time there's still not enough time in this window for moves to be made by Chelsea that would then leave Trevor and his advisors thinking hold on is staying around this season really my best bet to continue developing it and for my movement because his contract is also 2023 so there's a decision to be made there I think he's ticked every box so far Chelsea have three or four games coming up that are quite tough and so the fact that he didn't play against Arsenal was a little bit disappointing because, uh, it, to my mind, none of the Arsenal forwards offered any sort of threat that he would have been unable to deal with or would have found a struggle. But you face Liverpool this week and you, you might think, OK, right, they're going to play the experienced defenders, the the first choices if you were, so Trevor may not play there. Manchester City is not too far after that. And suddenly you're into October and you, you may have gone four or five league matches without a game. Uh, optimistic you, you can play him in, in one of those matches and, and we'll see what happens but I'd like to have seen 
a bolder show of faith in him by playing him against Arsenal because he deserved it. I thought the same thing. That was in my prediction too. He was in my lineup. I felt like, you know, he literally couldn't have done anything more. Granted that Palace were uh, pretty inept in attack, but he still, you know, had to face up against Zaha multiple times and, uh, you know, deal with a lot of, I'd say, direct long ball play from them once they got it to midfield because they just ran out of options. But I think as you look ahead to the, the schedule, it is really tough through September. October, you start to get in the Champions League games. Later in the year, FA Cup kicks in. And so you would hope that there's some rotation. But again, as you and I were chatting about beforehand, as P, you know, Christensen has played on the right. Uh, Jules Koundé on the right. Chalaba on the right. You know, we said this with Matt Lobb, like that depth chart, we just went from too many left backs <laughs> to now too many right-sided yeah. center backs. And the balance is wonky. Now, to be fair, Rudiger is a right-footed player who plays in left center back. I could see Chalabas being like, you know what? There's no one in that line over there. I'll go figure it out. Give me a chance. He has some experience playing that side through the academy years. Um, and I think he's got uh, quality body control and a trust in his left side to to be able to play that role. So it'll be interesting to see if he is somebody that is trusted to play on the left side because uh, whether Zuma stays or not, whenever you've seen Zuma on the left, his body control isn't quite so much. And he ends up almost being a pressing trap when he's played that side because you know he's not going to open himself up and play it back inside he's always going to be playing it out to the wing back um, which is something that Rudiger doesn't do quite so much and is why he's excelled as the first choice on the left uh, we, we don't see Christensen on the left of a back three at all it's not a role that suits him so if it isn't going to be Rudiger and none of the others then maybe that is an opportunity for Trev to get some minutes in rotation yeah, so we'll see how it plays out, but uh, great again to see, you know, obviously Reese, Mason, uh, you know, plenty of guys still in the squad. Uh, this is going to be a competitive season, a lot to go, but hey, Phil, really appreciate um, breaking down what's going on at the Academy. I love that we have minutes to analyze now and that these guys are able to go out there and start to uh, show off their skills, uh, you know, in the under 23s, the 21s and the, uh, the 18s. So, uh, a lot of football to come, but uh, glad to have you. Always happy to be here. We'll be back next week to see how the 18s got on our way to Norwich and the 23s against West Ham. Love it. All right, we'll kick it back to the rest of the guys for the match preview. All right, hope you enjoyed myself talking to Phil, Nick, Dan, gentlemen. Phil is smart, and you should appreciate that. The authority on anything youth, academy, the under 18s, under 23s. There is no other person in the world who knows more than he does. So listen to the man. All right. Well, like we said, we're going to be back. Plenty of content coming out, everyone. Dan, um, I hope I hope you enjoy sleeping in this weekend. West Coast. I know. It's nice. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice to not have to be up at 630, right? That's not my ideal for waking up for a Premier League game. But you know what? Credit to the fans who are going to travel and make the trip up there, particularly ones who haven't had a chance maybe to go to a away game in a long, long time. We're excited for you. Uh, sing your hearts out. Uh, be the best that Chelsea out. has to be and uh, come back as winners. I think that is quite, quite the appropriate stance. So um, that's going to wrap us up again. More content to come later in the week. Enjoy your weekends. Up the Chels. Three points is all we need. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do? Keep the blue flag flying high.